Welcome to 20 Minute Health Talk. I'm your host, Rob Hoyle. More than one in five Americans provide unpaid care to an adult family member or friend. For some, it's an act of love. For others, it's an expression of commitment or the embodiment of a sense of duty. But carrying out this critical role can take a toll. Today, we speak with three experts, each working to support caregivers and all three who have been caregivers themselves. We have Dr. Maria Carney. She is Chief of Geriatric and Palliative Medicine at Northwell Health and the former Health Commissioner for Nassau County. Carrie Scanlon, she is the Executive Director for Glencove Hospital, and Amy Goyer, AARP family and caregiver expert and author of AARP's Juggling Life, Work, and Caregiving, and Things to Do Now That You're a Grandparent. This question is for the room, but we'll start with Dr. Carney. What does it mean to be a caregiver? To be a caregiver, it's interesting. It can mean many different things to different people. You may begin helping your loved one, if it's a spouse or a parent, starting with, oh, I'll get your mail, or let me just pick up some groceries. Um, Then it may be, oh, I'll take you to the doctor's appointment. And next, it, it escalates to different responsibilities. Then it can become more physical in terms of providing care. And often caregivers will say, oh my gosh, how did I become this person. I wasn't planned. It just may happen either uh, slowly over time as you accumulate responsibilities, but in some cases it can be rapid. So to be a caregiver is to provide help with IADLs, independent activities of daily living, shopping, billing, um, making appointments or activities of daily living, bathing, uh, food, uh, feeding, helping with mobility, um, toileting. Uh, So it's uh, more executive functions versus more physical functions is what defines being a caregiver. Yeah. And I know, and I mentioned that you've all been caregivers. Um, Amy, if you could tell us, you know, how, how did that inspire you to work for AARP? Well, I first became a family caregiver when I was um, in college. I was only about 20 years old and I was studying to be a music therapist. So I was doing field work in the field of aging. I kind of knew I was going that direction. My dad was an only child and my grandmother had Alzheimer's and his um, my, my grandfather was her primary caregiver, but none, no family lived in the same town where they lived. So my parents lived 2000 miles away and I lived one state over. So I was six and a half hours away, but closer than my parents. So I started taking on that role and that having that experience really did shape a lot of my career. I ended up working in adult daycare. I worked for the Ohio Department of Aging and then I went to work with AARP. Um, I, I think when I, I when my dad developed Alzheimer's many years later and my mom had had a stroke, I wanted more flexibility for my work. And so I left my full-time job at ARP and I became a consultant. But I that was when I um, became ARP's family caregiving expert. So it was kind of a combination of my personal experience and my professional experience that put me in this role. And I was also caring for my sister at the same time as both my parents. Wow. Carrie, you recently uh, at Glencove Hospital um, were at the opening for its new caregiver center. Tell us what the center uh, about the center and how it will benefit the community. You know, we're very fortunate. Um, we had a donor that um, put forth money for us to build this incredible caregiver center. And if somebody, let's say, is up all night with their mother in the emergency department, which believe me, I remember very well, um, somebody could... Um, 
take a moment to close their eyes um, and be comfortable. And there's also a wonderful place to do, be able to do research uh, on um, really what's out there. It's just been a real win-win to have that um, caregiver. I do. I, I, I want to stress how unique this is for we now have four hospitals in our health system with caregiver centers in the lobby. So when you walk in to Glen Cove Hospital, it's saying we're here for not only the patient, but we're here for the family, the loved ones. And you're not alone. It really gives a message of non-abandonment, which many caregivers often feel. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Very true. I, I'll just jump in and say, I think it's sure. absolutely fantastic. I wish every hospital had something like this and caregivers so often feel invisible and this you're, you're, you're validating the important role that they're playing. There was yeah. an article in the uh, journal of America, um, JAMA American medical association about caregiver burden. And they described the caregiver as the invisible patient. Right. And I recall with my parents, uh, I'd go to talk to the doctors or go with them to the appointments, and maybe they didn't know I was a physician. Once they did, they I got treated a little different. But when I didn't, I felt ignored. And how were my parents going to execute the care plan that was provided to them without the caregiver? So it's really, I mean, I applaud. Carrie Scanlon, her leadership, and that of the health system, because this is so important. I, I could, I totally agree with you that this role of being an advocate for our loved ones is something that so many family caregivers are not completely comfortable with. It's, it comes naturally for me. You know, that would just came so naturally. I, I'm out there taking care of whoever I'm taking care of, and that's the top priority. But for many people. Um, you know, they don't, they're not used to asking questions. They're not used to doing more investigation on their own and offering suggestions to doctors, especially. And, you know, it, it, it can be really, really difficult, but it's so important that we as caregivers have strong observation skills, that we see what's going on, that we um, monitor and make sure they're getting the care they're supposed to be getting. I, you know, as a caregiver for, especially for my parents in the more, in, in the past decade or more, uh, so many hospitalizations and my mom was at rehab and nursing facilities and, you know, medication mistakes. So, you know, that role of the caregiver in advocating for our loved ones is so key. And I, I, we, I do a lot of encouraging caregivers to embrace that role. Research shows that one in 10 caregivers experience a health decline while providing hands-on compassionate support for another. Uh, among the resources offered at Glen Cove Hospital's new center are caregiver support groups. Carrie, can you tell us a little bit about how this uh, helps people in, in this role? When you come together in support groups, there's so much that you're talking about beyond the um, clinical information. You're talking about the psychosocial components of it. You're talking about what the expectations are, what maybe there could, the, the, the people could be at different phases of a loved one. Um, and it helps for people to know that they're not alone. 
you know, um, that they're really not alone. The other thing is um, we found with support groups that um, sometimes, you know, when you're in a family with um, uh, brothers and sisters, you have siblings, everyone thinks that that is the best support group. Sometimes it's not, you know, you need sometimes an objective party to share information with um, so that it doesn't become something where someone feels they're doing more for a person than another and that there's not a confrontational component. So I really think it's 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 imperative. Absolutely. You know, caregivers uh, can also face financial burdens. You know, family caregivers spend $7,242 annually. Amy, you were recently interviewed on the topic, Talking Money with Your Parents. Can you shed some light on the financial hardships facing the elder population? Right. You know, as a, as caregivers, what we tend to do is, as you say, we spend on average about 26% of our, our income. That's on average. So some of us spend much more, some spend less. Um, I can tell you, I spent far more than that. Uh, paying for home health care aides, paying for adult daycare, um, long distance caregivers are paying for transportation to go visit their loved ones. Uh, one of the biggest expenses is just paying household expenses. Family caregivers are paying the mortgage and the rent or whatever they need to do to fill in, as well as things like respite care and transportation and um, you know technology and all of those options. And these things add up and they take a financial toll and it can be incredibly substantial. It can be devastating. 45% of family caregivers report that they've had some kind of negative financial impact. Uh, I actually ended up in bankruptcy um, after caring for my mom, my dad, and my sister over a period of about 12 years, having to relocate myself to Arizona, but keep my home going in the Washington, D.C. area. You know, multiple, multiple expenses and my parents planned, my parents did the best they could, and it was still not enough because I was paying for all of those things. Um, I'm a family caregiving expert. I've worked in the field. Believe me, I maximized their income any possible way I could, and it was still just too much to handle. So, you know, if this can happen to me, it can happen to anyone. People dip into their own pockets. Um, it can be devastating. Some caregivers change their work situation as a result, which can also have devastating financial long-term benefits. You can lose, if you leave work when you're a caregiver, you can lose an average about $300,000 in lifetime wages and benefits. Um, that's why ARPs endorsed the Bipartisan Credit for Caring Act, which would be a tax credit for working family caregivers up to about $5,000, which I know would have helped me a lot and I think will help a, an awful lot of family caregivers out there. I think the number one question that I get, and most people don't realize, but the number one question I get is, what does Medicare pay for? <laughs> And then we have to explain, really nothing. <laughs> you know, it's very limited in terms of care. It will pay for dialysis. It will pay for pacemaker. It will pay for the hospital visits and so forth. But in terms of maybe short-term home care, maybe two weeks after hospitalization, nobody realized when they're doing their re retirement planning what they will need for a chapter of our life that is actually increasing. We're living longer and we're having a period of disability prior to death that is longer um, over time. So one of the unintended consequences of longevity, which is wonderful, is that we, we're facing some disability 
and we have to plan for it. Excellent point. When is a good time or what advice do you have for, you know, um, people who have um, older parents, you know, when, when they start to, to think about these things, having these conversations? As early as possible. <laughs> Long, I, you know, I always say early and often because things change. The resources change, the health situation change, the finances change. Yeah, I and- often, uh, I'm sorry, I often recommend to families to say, if you hear about a situation on the news, right? We hear cases on TV or in movies. If you hear it, use it as a way to have a discussion or ask about how, about your, how was your mother or father cared for? You know, open it, the dialogue up. What went well? What didn't go well from your perspective? And it might be that we're taking care of our advanced directives and our powers of attorney as, you know, the caregiver is. And that's an opening to say, mom, do you have these things in place? Yes. And as a physician, I often say, I have a healthcare proxy. Everybody should have a healthcare proxy. I want to, you know, if anything happens, I this is who I want to make decisions for me because they understand me. So I recommend everybody have one. You know, anybody going in for surgery electively, you know, whether it be a, a minor surgery or not, should designate a healthcare proxy. It should be routine. Amy, you offer a lot of expert advice and tips for people. Uh, and technology is one of those things. So explain a little bit about how technology can be used to help. Yeah, so uh, technology really has changed the family caregiving experience more than anything over time. I, I mentioned that I was a caregiver in my 20s back in the 1980s for my grandparents. And, you know, flash forward to now where the technology is so, so much better. I'm going to give you one really simple example. My grandmother had Alzheimer's. My dad had Alzheimer's. When my grandmother had Alzheimer's, my grandfather was constantly worried she was going to get out and that he she would get lost. Um, I remember him traveling with her um, to go visit my parents and, uh, you know, trying to keep her on the train and so many things. Technology, then flash forward with my dad, I had a video camera in his room. I had a motion sensor alarm in the hallway. I had, um, uh, you know, audio monitors in the room that, you know, sometimes called baby monitors. Um, in so that I could hear my parents, whether they were, and then look and see if they were trying to get out of bed and and I had to get there quickly because I didn't want them to fall. I had a floor mat alarm that the minute my dad put his feet on that, I knew he was, you know, trying to get out of bed. Um, And and I had, you know, uh, alarms on the doors that I could turn on so that I would know if my dad went out the door. Huge difference in terms of the stress on the caregiver and in terms of the um, sense of freedom and and the the quality of life for the the care recipient. And caregiver, you know, technology has those kinds of things, but also things like apps that help us stay organized and help us connect with other, you know, I mentioned the Facebook group. These caregivers say it's their lifeline. And I wish I'd had the group when I was in the throes of my caregiving. We actually started it right after my dad died. And it's that connection. We learn so much from each other. So being able to connect through technology, when you're a caregiver who can't get out always to a support group, it's very difficult for some people to get to in-person support group meetings. They can still connect, you know, via technology. So the safety devices, the the medication dispensers, being able to make sure your loved one is taking the right medications at the right time, even if you're not there as a caregiver, is an incredible gift. 
Awesome. You know, Dr. Carney, Northwell has been recognized as an age-friendly health system. What does that mean and why is that such an important designation? Yes, we have embraced the John A. Hartford Foundation and IHI Institute for Health Improvement's Age-Friendly Health System Initiative. And we have enrolled all our ambulatory practices. They are participants in the age-friendly health system. We have a clinical transformation team, a collaborative that's working on age-friendly health system initiative through our health system. Uh, We have tools to measure the four M's evaluating the mind, mentation, uh, someone have uh, dementia, cognitive impairment, depression, um, the review their medications. Of, we're, we have an effort going with our older adults uh, safety task force, looking at medications that can be harmful to older adults and trying to limit a certain number of utilization of uh, of certain meds that we've identified. Uh, mobility, we're working with our physical therapists to assess mobility and intervene to maximize mobility. And then what matters most, trying to hold uh, goals of care conversations, identify healthcare proxies. So we have all of these initiatives going across our health system. And Glen Cove Hospital is really where we're focusing on developing the tools, the evidence-based tools to measure the four M's, to measure, create dashboards for it, and to disseminate the best practices to other hospitals in our health systems. Amy, this can be so complicated. What resources are available? AARP has developed a really extensive caregiving website at aarp.org caregiving. And there you're going to find information about um, financial and legal matters, health care, caring for someone at home. We just expanded the care at home section greatly. Um, I, I, I just wrote five new columns for that with practical tips for family caregivers. And you'll also find links to local resources. There are free publications like our Prepare to Care Guide. Uh, there. So go to aarp.org caregiving. And I really urge all of you to join our, our Facebook group. It's the ARP Family Caregivers Discussion Group on Facebook. I moderate. I'm in there every day. And, and we all just hold each other up and, and provide lots of support. Dr. Carney, during this time of COVID, so many people wanted to stay away from their elderly loved ones just to make sure they didn't get sick. How has COVID changed the way we care for our, our loved ones? In this age of COVID, and infection spread, um, I have seen that caregivers are often frightened how to help. Should they, uh, are, are they going to help their loved one or are they going to get them sick? So I just want to remind that caregivers should get vaccinated to protect not only themselves in this role, but also to not spread illness to their loved ones. So to get the COVID vaccines, the booster, the flu shot this season. And uh, if you're nervous, wear a mask around your loved ones. But uh, we've learned through COVID that uh, caregivers are essential um, to a person's independence and uh, livelihood. And so it's important that they take care of themselves. Awesome. Dr. Carney, Amy, Carrie, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts and experiences surrounding the role of the caretaker and its importance. Thank you for all that you do to advocate for family quality patient care. And for all of you listening, thanks so much for tuning in. I'm Rob Hoyle. Have a great week and stay safe. Get more expert insight from some of the leading voices in healthcare today. Subscribe to 20 Minute Health Talk on Podbean, Pandora, Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you get your podcasts.